Hi. My name is Brooks. It's good to see you. Or as uh, my Kenyan brothers and sisters say, Jumbo. Jumbo Buana. Habarigani, how are you? To which you would reply, Missouri Sana. Missouri, like the state that borders us, and Sana, like the hot box you sit in for some reason. Missouri Sana, let's try it, okay. Habarigani? Wow, Kenyan, all of you, I see. Good morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Kenya, and I have passed along your greetings to them. It was so good to see them face to face over the last couple of weeks on the trip with our team here from Southside, and uh, it's good to see you face to face this morning as well. Una Pendeza, you look great. Uh, speaking of face to face, imagine a, a wedding this morning. Shouldn't be too hard here in the sanctuary. Imagine a bride walking down the aisle, a stage full of groomsmen and bridesmaids, you know, lace and black ties and flower petals and burning candles and all the rest, you know. The pastor, you know, standing about right here, reading vows. Those are being repeated by the bride and the groom, walk through the ceremony, message, and all the rest. And then finally, the, the pastor says, uh, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and what God has joined together, let no person cast asunder, let no one divide, you know. And then he says to the groom, you may kiss the bride. And the bride leans in, closes her eyes, expectant of this kiss, you know. And she lays a kiss on an iPad screen. (laughs) The groom's not there, at least not physically there. He's zoomed in for his wedding. Now, let me ask you, is that the same, is that the same kind of experience of two human beings on a stage kissing, or is it different? It's a little weird, isn't it? And yet you know that more and more we're living in a world in which relationships are often taking place behind screens. I mean, maybe we don't meet our friends for coffee as much as we used to, or we don't go over on Friday night for game night with friends as much as we're commenting on friends on Facebook and their pictures and such. We have movie watching parties these days where maybe you're not even in the same room together watching the same movie. Now you can call it up on your iPad, I can call it up on my TV, we can watch it at the same time in two completely different places. Or we have conversations with each other, with our kids over text message, you know, and these are wonderful things, even, even great things, especially when people are long distance away. Wonderful, wonderful gifts, but I wonder sometimes if in the glow of the screen, we're trying to replicate relational intimacy you know, through a screen. You may kiss the screen. (laughs) It's weird. Now, maybe you think that's absurd, but it may be closer than you think. In um, 2018, for instance, uh, Akihiko Kondo, who was a government employee living in suburban Tokyo, Japan, made headlines when he married the popular virtual digital character named Hatsune Miku. There was a hologram version of her. And through artificial intelligence, she could speak and they could communicate a little bit, you know, think of Alexa or Siri, something like that. And um, he fell in love with her while listening to her sing online. She's a completely digital character. 
He said, I stayed in my room for 24 hours a day. I watched videos of Miku the whole time. And so he decided to propose marriage to her. To which she replied in her Siri-like voice, I hope you'll cherish me. Uh, That sounded like a yes to him, I suppose. So he uh, bought a uh, life-size version of the digital character, spent about $17,000 on a wedding, and communicated with her through this artificial intelligence. Problem was, in March of 2020, the company that was responsible for creating the artificial intelligence decided to terminate the program. So now, Akihiko speaks to his digital wife and she does not reply. To which I know some of you husbands are thinking, (laughs) you know, that doesn't sound half bad. Shame on you. Maybe you think that's absurd. But I will say this, I have been in conversation with couples at certain times that have been so angry with each other, have, their communication has deteriorated so much that all they do is text one another. Relationships behind a screen. You may kiss the screen. <laughs> now that's extreme, but maybe you know something of this feeling, this feeling that's becoming more and more prevalent now, which is called digital isolation. You begin to feel alone. Maybe you work online, maybe you socialize online, maybe you order food online, and you begin to feel alone. And you look, everybody else online seems to be happy and healthy and have their lives together, and they're losing weight and taking exotic vacations and doing everything. Their lives are all put together online, and you worry, I'm creating a divot in my couch. And I have no one to talk to face to face. And you feel stuck. Maybe bound is the word. Now, it wasn't the same instance of digital isolation that Paul felt in Acts chapter 18, but I wonder if the emotion wasn't very similar. You see, uh, Paul was traveling to new places. He was on mission trips as well. He was trying to teach people the way of Jesus and the forgiveness that comes in Jesus and the abundant life in Jesus, and yet even a missionary can feel alone. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open to Acts 18 this morning as we continue in our series through the book of Acts this year. And I want you to to hear his story and see the freedom I think he discovered in the midst of some of the isolation he felt. Acts 18, uh, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, He stayed and worked with them, and every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, teaching to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them 
the word of God. Do you hear it, Paul? In the midst of this abuse in the synagogue, he could have felt isolated, he could have felt alone, maybe like we have felt at times, but Jesus said to Paul, I have many people in this city. And I wonder, in in some of that isolation, if Paul didn't say, (laughs) right, name one. After all, he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to preach about Jesus. He was on mission trips. He was trying to help people see the way of God. And he just kept running into dead ends. Abuse, oppression. But Jesus told him, keep preaching about me. Keep telling people about this freedom in Jesus. Keep on going because I have many people in this city. The the strength for Paul's mission seemed to be forged in face-to-face relationships. And I wonder if you couldn't use some of that strength, even right now. Face-to-face relationships. Well, like who? Well, uh, Luke mentioned them in the story. Did you hear their names? And and even more, did you hear some of the the value of the the relationship they brought to Paul? For instance, in verse 2, there were Priscilla and Aquila. Their shared support. In other words, Paul had friends who had compassion and not competition with him. Uh, In verse 2, we're introduced to this married couple. They'll be mentioned in three of Paul's letters moving forward in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Timothy 4. Uh, Aquila is a Latin name that derives from a word meaning eagle. Uh, Priscilla is often listed first when the two are mentioned in Scripture, probably indicating her greater service or greater knowledge of the Christian community of what she was doing in the church. But, but whatever their background, they are refugees at this moment. They have been chased out of Rome, Luke says. They are outsiders in Corinth. They may have felt alone. As Matthew Skinner notes, even their trade in Corinth carries a hint of diminished status. Tent making was not particularly respectable occupation among the artisan class. He asks, uh, was, the work they wanted, was this the work they wanted to do, or is it the only work they could find as newcomers with little prestige in this multicultural city? Their lives were leather knives and awls and... Uh, being bent over a workbench like a slave, working side by side with slaves, humiliation, sweat. They were considered a little higher than the peasant class, but were looked down on by the higher class because no one who worked with their hands could be respected in the ancient world. They were alone. And so when Paul walks into their lives and he meets them face to face, they welcome him with with compassion and not competition. You see, in the ancient world, the ancient economy, people of the same trade didn't compete with one another as as we do in our marketplace. Instead, they usually lived together in the same part of town and created trade guilds. And these trade guilds would come together and they would have a patron god. And they would sacrifice and eat together these banquets to the patron god. One trade guild might worship the god uh, Apollo, the sun god. Or another trade guild might worship uh, Asclepius, the Greek god of healing. But this could be a real problem for Jewish tradesmen. Because, of course, they worshipped only the one true god. And so here comes Paul and their kindred spirits with Priscilla and Aquila. And they say, here's one who worships Yahweh God just like us. And they supported one another. You have friends in your life that support you? Face-to-face support? People in your corner? People who reach out to you in compassion and not competition? We often think of Paul as this lone missionary figure, but... 
This support was crucial for him, especially because the city of Corinth was so immoral. Corinth had this sort of sinful smog that just permeated everything, not unlike the smog our mission team lived in in Nairobi for a couple of weeks with the dust and the smog and everything all at once. It, it just sort of lived in this culture. Corinth was a, uh, the, the largest, most cosmopolitan city of the uh, Greece uh, the Greco-Roman Empire it was located at the southern end of, the, of an isthmus, and so there was a port on one end that ships would often come in. They would unload their cargo, would, would carry it over land to this second port, load it on another ship, and off it would go. It was the, the east-west trade center of the, of the ancient world, certainly of Greece, and yet with that came certain sinful elements that plagued lonely sailors. Women for hire. In fact, among the Greeks, uh, Corinth, the city, uh, had a, a Greek v- a word, a Greek verb that was used to describe to be like a Corinthian. It, me- it meant to live immorally. Paul needed the support of friends who could challenge him, who could hold him accountable, who could love him, who could support him even in the midst of this place, who could stand firm with him in a society saturated with sin. And you do too. You need that kind of support in this world. You need face-to-face friends to filter through the sinful smog in this culture and all especially of the digital temptations that threaten us at every turn. To name just one, did you know that in every Second, in the United States of America, every second, there are 28,000 people viewing pornography on the internet. Every single second. One out of every four internet searches, one out of every three internet downloads are pornographic materials. About 20% of men and 13% of women view pornography at work. The percentage of people who even see pornography uh, unwelcome, uh, with no permission, unbidden, um, that that have exposure to it is about 34% through pop-up emails or pop-up ads or email links or all the rest. About 2.5 billion emails, 2.5 billion emails are sent every single day with pornographic intent. All of this, of course, inviting for you to kiss the screen. Now, listen, these are not just numbers. These are your son, your daughter, your spouse. These are your coworker, your neighbor. These may be you. And I don't say these numbers to shame you. There is forgiveness in Jesus. There's a way of abundant life in him. I don't say these numbers to shame you. I say them to shock you into understanding. We live in Corinth. We need each other. And all of this smog, it leads to addiction and negative attitudes towards women and men and sexuality. It leads to anxiety and depression and despair and shame and and not to mention lost workplace productivity and school achievement and all the rest. And all of it, all of it lives in loneliness. It thrives in secret. And what begins to kill these kinds of things, face-to-face relationship with compassionate friends. Paul had found those. Have you? Now, if not, this morning, listen, welcome to the body of Christ. 
Look around right here. Find some friends in this community, even here, to find the support of some Christian compassion. Jesus encouraged Paul by saying, I have many people in this city, like Priscilla and Aquila, but also people like Silas and Timothy in verse 5, and their, their shared ministry together. In other words, uh, Paul had friends to lighten his ministry load. Uh, these two men catch up to Paul in verse 5 from Macedonia. Uh, we know from other scriptures they brought good news. Timothy told him how the Thessalonian church that Paul had started was doing well, and people were standing firm in their faith. Uh, they, they brought a gift to Paul, a financial gift. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 4, he talks about the church's generous support to help him in ministry. And, and with these friends and with their partnership, in verse 5 here, Paul is able to devote himself exclusively to preaching. He can put tent making aside for the time because he has the ability now to speak to the Jewish people about Jesus. Friends like this are invaluable. They, they bring, they bring uh, cheer to the heart. They bring resources. They bring help. Do you have face-to-face -face friends that can share the load of life with you? You know, you have, a, you have a spouse who can do the laundry so you can work late on Tuesday night. Do you have friends who remember your doctor's appointments and drive you to them? Do you have people who check on your house when you're gone, who will feed your pets or water your plants or whatever? You can't find this on your phone. It requires someone face-to-face. And this kind of life together, these kind of relationships are so helpful. I, I got to experience this on our uh, Kenya trip here the last couple of weeks, uh, time and again. One day, for instance, we did this um, uh, kind of health check time with the, the smallest of the small kids in this Kenyan school. The, the preschool kids to first grade, I, I'm guessing there were maybe 130, 140 of them, something like that, and we, we led them through a health check. And so uh, as a part of that, we went through and they got their height and their weight, and they did a dental check and to, to check for malnutrition. And of course, with that age of kids, you got to do it kind of fun. So we also had to sing, and we had to pray, and we had to dance, and we had to do all kinds of stuff. And so some people on our team, lots of people on our team, all people on our team had to jump on board for this. Some sang songs, some prayed, some did all kinds of, some walked like giraffes. <laughs> some on our team took pictures of weird pastors walking like giraffes and put it on social media for all of you to see. And we did this all day long, and three of the children were found to be extremely malnourished. And one of our compassionate members of our team said, why don't we pool some of our money and buy food for their family? And we did, together. See, Paul focused on his ministry strength, but he had these friends who come in and fill in the gaps. Do you have friends in your life that fill in the gaps? If not, welcome to the family of Jesus. Look around this morning. Find, even in this place, the partnership of Christian friends. Because Jesus encouraged Paul, and he said, I have many people in this city. Priscilla and Aquila, Silas and Timothy. Also, uh, Titius, Justice, and Crispa, Crispus, and their, their shared belief. In other words, Paul had friends who had a common trust in Jesus as well. Uh, verse 7, Paul left the abuse of the synagogue and the oppression of that place, and he found a welcoming place in the home of this man. And, and the question is, do you know how powerful it is to, to sit around a table with a, a Christian brother, with a, a Christian sister, and, and just share life together? It's a powerful experience. 
Again, in our uh, trip over the last couple of weeks, we experienced this time and again sitting around the table with some great brothers and sisters in Christ, but I'm not going to forget soon the the day that we took uh, the seventh and eighth grade students from this school on a field trip, which is not something you get in the slums, (laughs) but we were able to do it, and we took them to a a small forest in Nairobi, there were, there were caves there, there was a, a waterfall there, and these students were just bubbly and giddy, and most of them have never left the slums before, and so this was a new experience for them, even though it was in the same town, you know, it was this amazing, eye-opening experience, and, and we walked with the students, and we talked with them, you know, they, they teach English from the earliest grades, and so they speak better English than I do, and and Rachel and Lizzie, you know, as we walked along, they were teaching me some Swahili words for this and that and the other. And, and they taught me, for instance, that uh, nyama means meat. But they giggled when I said nyamba, which means passing gas. So <laughs> if you ever go, just keep those two things separate. One girl asked me about my family, asked me if I had kids. I told her I had three sons and listed their ages and all the rest. And we were talking about this. And with a twinkle in her eye, she said, can I have one of them in marriage? <laughs> so Logan's leaving next week. Uh, good, uh, good luck. But what blew me away was Lunch. So we bust, I don't know, 120, 130 of these kids to a, a Kenyan mall, had a kind of open air uh, food court, and we sat down and we were able to purchase lunches for all of them from a Kenyan delicacy. Are you ready? Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and they had never experienced something like this before, and they sat down. I'm telling you, there was some finger licking happening around those tables, Okay. And they just were bubbling and the conversation was overflowing and this place was just, uh, just amazing to sit around the table with all of these people, all of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Here we are feasting on the kernels, 11 herbs and spices and bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you ever sat around a table with friends like that lately? It is amazing. Paul experienced that with... Titius Justus, Crispus was there as well. He believed his whole household. Uh, this is likely the same Crispus that Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, these men and their families, they, they put their trust in Jesus. They shared life together. Like we're able to share life together here in this place or even with friends around the world through these trips. Uh, those students there, they, those teachers there, those administrators, they thank God for you. They, they think of you as family. They remember. They remember four years ago. Do you remember? We bought shoes and socks for the entire school. Do you remember that? They do. They remember the teams that have come and the Bible stories told and the songs sung and the songs that they've learned. They remember the, the classrooms that they're able to, to rent and be a part of now are because of your sacrificial giving. They think you are family, and we are in Christ Jesus. Paul found a common belief because of Christ with these Corinthian friends. Do you have friends that share your beliefs? Friends that inspire you to godliness? Friends that uh, influence you towards Christ? If not, welcome to the body of Christ. Find some people in this assembly. Look here today. Find the love of Christian believers. But listen, I know there's digital isolation all over the place. In this room, uh, maybe watching online today, I, I know it's happening. And so if you don't have a friend like that, I want you also to notice in this text the words of Jesus. Jesus 
the friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, the faithful one, the one who promises to never leave or forsake us, this Jesus first turns Paul's attention to him. He says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Jesus is present with you. And he also says, because I have many people in this city. And the truth is, that was true for Paul. I think it's true for us. I know it is. Jesus is here, right here with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, he is with you. And also, he has many people in this city. People like Claude DeCamp, who threw Dr. Pepper jelly beans to me when I stepped off the church van at 2 a.m. on Monday morning, having traveled 34 straight hours by plane and bus and I don't even know what. And those jelly beans beans said to me, welcome home. Jesus has lots of people in this city, people like Kathy Thompson, who sent a nice encouraging email to Brandon and I this week. Jesus has lots of people in this city. People like Bill Kennett, Don Turner, Ed and Brad and Doris, Mark and Eric. Will you get to know them? Don't just friend them on Facebook. (laughs) Meet them face to face. And who knows? It might just inspire you into some deeper relationships and a deeper level of service to Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to pray with me. Would you, would you bow and just want to have a few moments of silence. And as we do, I want you to um, maybe just imagine in your mind's eye, if you have a friend like this in your life, just thank God for that friend for the next few moments. And if you don't, Maybe ask God to lead you into someone this week that can become friends like this with. Take a moment to pray for that. Maybe take a moment to pray that you would become this kind of friend to someone else, that our church would be this kind of friend to people all around us in our community. And maybe take a moment, even today, perhaps, as you check your, your screen time on your phone, as we've been doing, if you, if you look at that, maybe take a moment and wonder out loud to God, is there some time that I could walk away from the screen to actually meet with someone face-to-face this week? Maybe ask God if there's someone in your life that you should do that for this week.
Father, you've given us incredible gifts. But sometimes they come with thorns, and we ask for your help as we navigate that. We ask for the body of Christ to rise up and be supportive of one another as we follow you, Jesus. Thank you for being present with us, ever present with us. Thank you for never leaving or forsaking us, and help us now to be your hands and feet, to be your ears and eyes as we look into each other's face and seek to be fully, abundantly alive in you. Help us to be that for ourselves, for our friends and our family, and for those in this community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.